All right, hey, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 1. Uh, we're gonna be in verses eight through 11. And as, as you're turning there, um, I want you to be thinking about this question. Uh, what is it that most encourages you in your relationship with other people? Now, that's a really important thing to kind of think through because I, I, I would think that you would not be terribly encouraged over the long haul if the only relationship that you had with people is as this kind of distant benefactor, right? Yes, it's nice for somebody to just come up and hand you $20 and not ask you any questions or tell you what to do with it. That's nice once in a while. But if that's all the kind of relational capital that you had, it would be difficult for you to feel like you were in much of a relationship at all, right? And so this morning, what we're talking about is uh, that, that we're asking, we're pleading with you to give more than money, uh, that you would give in terms of prayer, but prayer comes out of relationship, as, as Brian and Mandy both alluded to. And so it, it is critical for us to try to, even though uh, they are across the ocean and in a completely different time zone, it is critical for us to try to stay in uh, deep relationship with them. Because as we're going to hear from Paul this morning, and as you should probably know, ministry is a bone grinding mill. Now, that's not just me whining. I don't want to sound like, you know, uh, the millionaire who whines about making too much money, and, uh, which I'm not a millionaire, uh, and neither is Brian and Mandy. But, but there is a sense in which ministry does take a toll on you over time. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that um, it, it's hard sometimes to actually find people who can relate to what you're going through and who will keep up with you and kind of hope that you're, uh, help you to stay healthy. And those, are, th- those kind of relationships are a great gift. And I want desperately for our church to be able to give that gift to every missionary that we support greater than money. Amen? All right. So... Um, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians, uh, so I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, for those of you who think it was something else, um, uh, 1 verses 8 through 11. Um, this morning, what I want you to know is that we are called to support those in ministry by knowing their afflictions and through praying for their sanctification and the kingdom's growth by God's resurrection power. That's really important, that we are called to support those in ministry by knowing their afflictions and through praying for their sanctification and the kingdom's growth by God's resurrection power. And that takes relationship. That that sentence makes no sense whatsoever outside the context of relationship. And so, as you're kind of thinking about how you relate, I want to read uh, actually what comes before verse 8. We're not going to spend any time unpacking it, but it's critical to understanding what Paul's talking about. Listen, if you would, at verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. 
Now, you got to remember who he's talking to. This is the Corinthian church, right? What kind of mess were they in based on 1 Corinthians? What is it that they actually got right? I mean, they really had it messed up on all levels. And yet he's going to ask them to join with him in praying and engaging in the ministry to which he is called and more. Did you notice what he said? He said, I also want you to share in the sufferings. Now, that's heavy wording. And in verse 5, certainly the, the abundance that we, we would share in the abundance of Christ's sufferings. Now, I've, I've confessed to you before. I may be a, a colossal weakling in this regard. I, I'm not, I don't want to sign up and get beaten or killed or chased or imprisoned. I have a hard enough time sleeping on an ice bed, much less something lesser. And so I, I'm not trying to push myself out in front of that. However, there may come a day when it is required in my lifetime. And so the real question is, is, am I willing to continue to follow Christ no matter where the road may lead? And a big portion of the answer to that question is what kind of support one would receive. I've been reading a book that I would commend to you. Uh, it's called Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed by Philip Haley. And it's about this town in southern France called La Chambon. And it's really about the pastor and the people. The pastor's name is Andre Trocme. He was a Huguenot, which is a descendant of Calvin uh, on a strand. And he and the entire town managed to um, uh, bring through and protect thousands of Jewish refugees. Thousands. And there's this incredible moment when he gets arrested. And it looks like it's over. He's basically expecting he will die. And the man who's arresting him comes in, and he's not exactly one of the worst of the worst as far as the, the French were concerned, because you got to also understand there were French who were on the side of Hitler because they thought, well, if they're going to win, we want to be on the side of a winner. It was Vichy France, essentially. And this is actually the free zone. But they got wind that Trocme and the town were hiding Jews. And so they come in, they arrest him and another pastor and the, the uh, leader of the school. They had a school there called the Sevenall School which taught nonviolent response and, and, and essentially uh, how to resist without harming another human being. And so, as he's being arrested, the entire town turns out one by one bringing him gifts. And what you've got to know about this town is they were all poor. A roll of toilet paper was akin to a couple of hundred bricks of gold. And so they bring him this roll of toilet paper, and they bring him all this stuff, and as the guy who's arresting him is sitting there, he begins to weep. And he says, I'm so sorry, I don't want to do this. I have never seen anything like this. And he says, though I have to take you to the concentration camp, I will make sure that this story does not die with you. I will make sure that it is heard. And as they're leaving, the entire town is lining the way, and they sing, a mighty fortress is our God. And interestingly, so when they get to the concentration camp, it's filled with communists, which, by the way, were not exactly excited about two pastors being brought into the concentration camp. And they're like, oh, that's what we need, as if our suffering weren't enough, now we have to endure Christians. So as they come into this camp, 
and begin to exchange uh, life with those who are in the camp and exchange their food because for whatever reason, they could receive parcels. And so it's, they said that their barracks looked more like a grocery store than an actual prison barracks. And so they shared their food with all these people. And one of the communists makes this comment. He said, all of the years that I've been here, the couple of years I've been here, all of the suffering, all that I went through for my comrades... They have not sent me one slice of bread. How is it that your people love you so much? And then they ask if they could start a Protestant worship service on Sundays. Well, if you're church planting, planting in a concentration camp full of atheists is an interesting thing to try to do. And so, especially when everybody's against you, and so they let them do it. They even gave them a room where they had this chalkboard so they could, they could teach as well as preach. And the atheists were so intrigued by what they were talking about that they said, we want, we want more of this. So they had three nights a week where they were teaching. It was standing room only. And they had to open the windows so people could stand outside the building and hear what was being taught. Now, that's, that's an amazing thing. And Trachme would say, there's no way we do any of this without the support of the people. Without knowing that we were being prayed for and without, knowing, without being provided for, it was, it was, a, it was a whole group effort. And when they were released, surprisingly, from the concentration camp, uh, they are told they have to sign this piece of paper pledging their allegiance to the, to the, the French guy, Patain, who was over the Vichy government, and they refuse. So they get sent right back into the concentration camp, and the atheists are like, you guys are morons. Why wouldn't you just sign the paper and just go do what you needed to do? Look at what your God has done for you now. Three days later, get a call from on high, let them go. They ain't got to sign anything. And the atheists were like, well, okay, look what your God has done now. And as they're leaving, the atheists sang a hymn that they had learned in the service. Now, the sad part of the story is none of those atheists would live to see life outside the concentration camp. They would all die in the salt mines. But Trachme and, and his companions did live on and managed to help save a whole bunch of folks. But, they, but again, what's so beautiful about the story is the story is not about Trachme. It's about the entire town coming together to preserve people. And the guy's writing the book, when he goes and interviews some, he asks, he says, why is it that you all did these good deeds? And he was surprised by their indignation at his question. I said, what are you talking about, good deeds? We just had neighbors who were in need and did what we knew we were supposed to do. Why would you call that good? That's just supposed to. Which is just a powerful part of the story because what, what he then concluded was in order to have this kind of mindset, this kind of community, this kind of love for the kingdom, you've got to have deep roots and strong branches it's got to be something that you, you're not just trying to do flat foot. It has to be something that has been taught and taught and taught and lived out already together. Which I think is something to be said to us, right? Here's the thing. We don't live in a small town that's walkable on a plateau in southern France between the mountains. We just don't. We live regionally. We don't live in parishes. We're not all that close together. So that makes some of this a little bit difficult. So that means that any community that we are going to have, we are going to have to work for. Uh-oh. I just said you got to do something. 
And it's on you, not me. Not me to provide all, like I said, what am I not? The activities director on the cruise line of your Christian life. I'm just not. We've already talked about this. I don't put the you in fun. Uh, You don't want me to do it, right? I'll have you doing hard labor and weird stuff. It's just not good. You don't want me to make those decisions. And so it's better for you to figure out and to discern via your gifting and calling and where you live. We're we're happy to help you with that, but we're not going to do it all for you. We're not going to force you into community. So we want you to recognize that it is gospel to do so, right? If there's not a firm foundation from which you're working to do this, you're not going to do it. And we quit on this all too easily, by the way. We are quick to quit because we, we can. We can get in our car, go right down the road and find another church. Uh, we, we, we can get in our car and drive 30 minutes to an even greater church, Passion City. So, what are we going to do in order to have the kind of community that actually helps those who are in the trenches and those, and you get in the trenches and us to actually see the kingdom being brought to bear so that our hope, our thanksgiving, we are blessed because of what we see. So Paul is going to give us some ideas. And again, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a group of people that if you were looking to start a prayer team, the Corinthian church may not be it. But he trusts the power of the gospel to be at work in them. And notice what he says in verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction which we experienced in Asia For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, we don't know the exact afflictions that he's he's speaking of having suffered in Asia, but if you know anything about the book of Acts, you know this guy went through some stuff, right? He's been shipwrecked. He's been bit by snakes. They tried to stone him to death. He's been run out of every good place. He's been run out of every bad place. He's been through a lot of things. And so he doesn't want, if the Corinthians are going to partner with him in this ministry, if they're going to be an adequate prayer partner, he's going to have communion with them in the kingdom, they need to know what he's going through. Now here's one of the subtle traps that I think every missionary and anybody who has to write a newsletter goes through. What do we like to give our money to? Successful things. We want to know because we're Americans and we want an investment that pays dividends and we get return on said investment. We've been taught this since very young and even younger. And so often missionaries and those who have to write newsletters are kind of caught in the crosshairs of being honest. Can I be honest and say, I've quit seven times already this week because there's seven days in the week. And yet I continue because of the grace of God compels me to continue, right? Is that a good newsletter? Does that help build the coffers? Right? We, we, we put the pressure on them to constantly feed our necessity for success. Would you all have given to Jeremiah? He, he wrote a newsletter, uh, a little longer than a newsletter, actually. And he wrote a compendium called Lamentations. Would you have given to Jeremiah his ministry? Or how about Isaiah? 
when this would be his first, hey guys, I have been called to preach to those who will not hear and those who will not see and those whose hearts will be not moved. So <laughs> where can I get you signed up and how much do you want to give? Right? I'm not saying that we should give to staycationaries, people who have gone to a foreign location to kind of set up shop and call it missionary work. But what I am saying is we need to know our missionaries well enough that they can actually tell us the truth so that we can actually be praying for the thing that they actually need the most. That they would trust us enough to share their afflictions with us and say, I am so discouraged, I don't know what to do today. I have tried to read the word and it is like a blank page. None of the words seem to make sense. I have tried to pray and all of heaven is as brass. Would you say that man's disqualified for being honest about those things? Is that, is that his end point or does his ability to, or, or her ability to share those things with us help move along? Because we've all experienced it. Which is why I love the fact that he, he says earlier on, because you suffer the same things. And we are not super Christians who are above the fray and are, are so perfect that we don't suffer anything. Notice what he said. Paul expresses great doubt. These afflictions that have fallen upon us, they are so great that we have despaired even of life. He's saying, we wish we were dead. You ever felt like that? You ever thought, ah, one more day really ain't, ain't going to make that much of a difference? i got to be honest with you. Well, Paul is there at some point, and you may say, well, golly, that, I'm going to quit reading his books then. No, you need to read them because he's going to offer you the comfort. It doesn't end there, notice, right? He doesn't stay there, but he admits, I've been there, and you have too. And we need each other. And so here's Paul risking his life, not for personal gain or glory, but in serving his Lord in advancing the cause of the kingdom. That's Simon Kistemacher saying that. This is Paul being willing to risk all this, to suffer these afflictions because he knows there is a greater glory. Remember what he said in Romans 8. These light and momentary afflictions. Who talks like that, by the way? And means it. A man who suffered a man who's been on the brink, who said, we despaired even of life. We were so overwhelmed and overburdened. If you don't think for Mandy and Brian that this issue of the visas has not been very difficult for them, and you don't think that it's kind of hanging over every single day as they try to do the various things they're doing in ministry, you're, you're missing what they shared with you. When will this be resolved? Who knows? And yet, they are called to keep doing what they're doing with the days that they have been given where they have been called. And I trust that they will be faithful. But they need to know that we are praying for them and for God in the power of the Holy Spirit to resolve only what he can resolve. I don't know how many of you actually have the kind of Liam Neeson taken skills that you can go over there and whoop up some visas for them, which that'd be awesome, maybe. I don't know if that's legal. But, but more than that, we need that which can reach farther than anyone can, which is the Holy Spirit. Just like with Andre Trockmay and his friends, to this day they have no idea who it was that spoke on their behalf to pardon them, to keep them from dying. 
so that they could continue the work to which the Lord had called them. So, how will you go about knowing the afflictions of those you support in ministry? Now, let me say this, uh, because I, I am one of the people that you support in ministry. Um, I understand that at this distance, it's a little harder, and, and you need to understand it's a little harder for me to share the fullness of afflictions, because what I can't do, I, I can't share with you something going on between me and Jonathan Stuckert, and there's not anything going on between me and Jonathan Stuckert. There's no under, undercurrent. <laughs> Right? I just can't. And I can't, I can't name anybody else in the congregation because that's gossip and that's not fair to them or you or anybody else. And so I get that our ability to, for you to hear the fullness of my afflictions is more difficult than for someone who's in another country in another situation. So I do not expect from you what I expect from you for them. However, should you be praying for me should you be praying with me? Do you know what I do every week? Do you know the gravity of this? I know you think sometimes I maybe don't get it. Well, then that's why you should pray for me, <laughs> right? Do you, do you understand what, it, what, it, what it's like to, to try to genuinely love and care for this many people? Just look around. How many of you uh, know the names of everybody in this room? How many of you know the names of 50% of the people in this room? One of our elders, that's good. That's a good confession. Yeah. He's guessing, it's plus minus 25, right? How many of you know, if you don't know their names, how, you know anything they got going on in their lives? Well, I'm gonna guess that I know about 75% to 80%, just looking out. And the ones I don't know are family that are here with the Bairds for the baptism and others that are visiting for maybe the first time. But as I look out on you each week, I know you and your names, and I know some of your stories, and we're trying to keep up with that so that we can shepherd and pastor you well. But is that easy? Because it's a bunch of easy personalities, right? You know each other. Easy people to love. But I'm not easy either. And so we're doing this thing that's miraculous and supernatural, and so... so Know that I have afflictions. And one of the greatest is the desire to see not just our church grow by virtue of transfer of whatever kind, but that it would grow because people are actually coming to know Jesus Christ because of your relationships with them and potentially mine as well. And that is a great burden upon me because we have yet to experience that in full that you are aware of and can be shared. So what effort are you making to support, those, to, to support those you are supporting in ministry by knowing their afflictions? And how would you even go about that? And a lot of you may say, well, I don't know, Brian and man. I don't know. Well, how are you going to get to know them? I don't know the mills. How are you going to get to know them? Right? This is, a, this is an effort that you will have to make on your part to get to know them because they can, you know how much it costs them to fly to America and just hang out with us and get to know us? It's expensive, and it takes away from the ministry that they're being called to. There's no missionary I know of that just loves going on these little tours, being away from the ministry they were called to. So you are going to have to make the effort to get to know them. Send them an email or get on their newsletter and say, listen, I don't know you from Adam's house cat. You can use that exact phrase. They'll, they'll know what you're talking about. And you can say, but 
But I, I want to be praying for you and I want to support you in, in a way that's, that's significant. And we've been challenged to do this. We're doing this from scripture. And so they will appreciate it more than you will know. Um, our friends, Travis and Laura, who are in Kenya, for those of you who've kept up with them, those of you who don't know, a tornado hit their compound just a day or so ago and did thousands of dollars in damage. No one was hurt, praise God. Let's clap. We can do it, Presbyterians. <laughs> Presbyterian golf clap right there. Uh, but they're going to have to rebuild some things, and that's money that takes away from money they had set aside for some other things. And so, um, uh, so that's part of their affliction is, is they've had to endure uh, an act of God uh, that they couldn't do anything about. And so um, make sure that you are making the effort to get to know our missionaries. Now, if you didn't know this, there's a thing called the connection table or the table of assimilation, as Robbie likes to call it, right outside these doors. And on that table, there are prayer cards for many of the missionaries that we support. And if you are a member of this church, you ought to have, I know I'm going to sound real legalistic here in a hurry, but I mean it, you ought to have prayer cards where you can regularly pray for our missionaries. Because if you're not joining in that part of this body's life, you're not actually getting involved. You're standing on the outside of something. And this is an area where we need to turn a corner. And we can turn a real impressive corner by growing in community in this way, by really caring for and getting to know our missionaries. Um, and so some of you are going to rebel against that, just, and I just gave you something to rebel against. Well, fine, play with that for a while. You'll get something else later. Um, but, but instead of rebelling, why don't, we, why don't we do something that will actually have an impact and matter and can draw us closer together? And we want to do a better job as a church of Skyping, not just in February, um, but, but being able to Skype and keep up with our missionaries on a more regular basis. So we've got some things we need to do as well from the front. All right, and turning back to the passage, look at verses 9 and 10 as Paul continues. He says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. I want you to notice that what Paul is saying is that the antithesis to faith is not doubt. He already showed you he's had doubts. I've despaired of life. It seemed as if we'd been given the sentence of death. What was God deconstructing in Paul for his own sanctification? His reliance upon himself, which is just longhand for another word, pride. His pride is being deconstructed by the sufferings of Christ, by the afflictions that have come upon him, and yet he recognizes that it is God's sovereign hand in it all. How impressive is that, and what could we learn from that? Is that all of the sufferings that any of us endure, somehow, some way, God is using them to shape and form his people. None of it happens outside his abilities. I know that raises a host of questions, i.e. the entire book of Job, or Habakkuk, or a lot of the other prophets as well, or Gethsemane, or the cry of Psalm 22 from the cross. So Paul is recognizing that, you know, one of the tendencies in those of us who are called to ministry is we like to go our own way. We will rely upon ourselves faster than you ever would. We are as prayerless as any of you. 
We are void of scripture as any of you left to our own devices. We are not super Christians. Being called to ministry does not mean that we were better than you. In fact, there may be an argument for we are weaker than you and therefore needed to be closer in, to be afflicted, to be pressed, to be assailed so that God could hold us close. Did I just confess to you I don't read my Bible? No, I I, I do, but I want you to know I struggle as much as any of you. And the tyranny of the urgent and the, the desire to want to build one's own brand. One of the things that has made me very angry lately, and I'm not going to say the guy's name, but he's a megachurch pastor, not in this area. Um, he, he did a sermon in which he said essentially nothing that I could tell. He got a standing ovation. Now, I know as Presbyterians, we clap for no man. That's fine. I'm not asking for that, right? But... But what I am saying is his people are dedicated and they will make sure that that church does not go out of business anytime soon. One weekend, he raised almost $7 million. One weekend for a building from 16,000 people. He lives in a $1.6 million mansion. I'm not looking for that. I know you know I'm looking for a house. We're not even talking about that. Just 1,800 square feet, large enough for our kitchen table. Kitchen, Susan, pass that. We don't care. Right? But what I'm saying is this, and Susan was like, well, Cameron, why are you so angry? That's just itching ears. I said, yes, but it doesn't speak to the hardness of our hearts. And our often lack of generosity and our unwillingness to make sure that the gospel will be preached. If 20 to 30-somethings in a city not far from here can make sure that a false gospel gets preached, how much more should we be able to do? Now, I know you're thinking, I thought this wasn't about money. I thought it was about prayer. It is. Both and. We are in the raising phase for our next faith promise year. And we're asking you to do more than you did last year. So that we can support more. We want to be able to be, continue to grow in our generosity. So here Paul is saying that all of this is actually shaping him further into the image of Christ. That he is relying upon the hope of God who has delivered before. God's faithfulness in the past is helpful to him in the present and in the future. He knows that God will not let his people sink. His word will not return void. He trusts in the Lord. Could we learn something from that? Listen to what John Calvin says about this passage. He says, to make us give up our self-confidence and recognize our weakness and thus cease to make false claims for ourselves, we must first die. But that is not enough unless we take a step further. We must begin by despairing of ourselves, but only in order that we may hope in God. We must be brought low in ourselves, but only that we may be raised up by his power. Thus Paul, as soon as the pride of the flesh has been brought to nothing, immediately puts in its place, a confidence that rests in God. Are you praying for those that you support in ministry to experience the death of their reliance upon themselves and the resurrection of new life in God? That's an interesting prayer to pray, but you need to be praying it because I can tell you for all of us who are in ministry, we need people praying this for us because we are constantly being drugged towards self-reliance and pragmatism, right? Right? We're constantly thinking, all right, 
We need money to come in. How do we get money to come in? If I just compromise here, if I just, if I just shorten this here, if I just do a little bit of that there, if Josh will just take his shoes off and close his eyes more, uh, uh, you know, something to manipulate the people. Mark Dever at a conference I went to not long ago had an interesting statement. He says, all liberalism begins with evangelism. Wait, what? He says, yes, all liberalism begins with a, 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 a deep desire to want to reach other people. And pragmatism is in that mix. And so that's where it veers off into liberalism because you begin to say, well, we could reach more people if we didn't, if we didn't make them think. If we put the cookies on the low shelf. We shouldn't have to do that, people. We shouldn't even have to be considering that if we were living out the gospel. So are you praying that all of those you support in ministry, including the elders and deacons and staff of this church, I don't want you to pray this, by the way, but I'm telling you to pray it, that we would be sanctified, that, that our self-reliance would die as violent a death as it needs to die so that we would hope only in the resurrection of Christ, which is good for you, by the way, for us to do that. Amen? And on what does your hope rest? It's not just about where mine rests, it's where yours does too, right? Turn back to the text, last verse. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Hear what he just said, he said, it's, it's, not a, it's not a request, it is an imperative. You must, you must help us by prayer. He's asking for them to join with him in that which only can be dealt with in a supernatural way. Uh, the majority of pastoral issues that, that I deal with, it rarely is it a, a problem of knowledge. Like somebody's like, oh, I didn't know Colossians 1 said that. If I'd have known that, I'd have stayed married, I, you know, whatever. No, it's rarely an issue of knowledge. It is always, even when there's a knowledge gap, a heart problem. Always. So I'm not going to be able to crack open the Bible and jump to a verse usually and say, all right, here's the solution to your problem. Now that you've got the knowledge, you're fine. No, it's something that has to be transformed within the heart and the mind of the person that only the Holy Spirit can reach. So you must join us in prayer because that's the only, the only capital that we have. And so he's asking for them to partner, to be in a communion that is spiritual. He's asking for them to share in the ministry. Notice how he wraps it up. He says, and, and by doing this, many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. That's kingdom, and I love the, what Brian asked us to pray. He said, pray kingdom prayers, not just for supplication, not just for things here, but to say, Lord, would, would you break forth in this world and to pray specifically for the various places where that is, that is going on? 
Would you join me in praying that our church would be able to celebrate someone coming to Christ out of a relationship that they built with one of you all here? Would you join me in praying for your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, my family, my neighbors? Maybe not my coworkers. They're all, they're all Christians, the best I can tell. But would you join in that? Would you be committed to that? so that we could celebrate the blessing that is born of those things. It takes, again, it takes relationship. It is a call to a deeper relationship. I've said this before. And again, it, it has rung and rung and rung. But do you know how many people pray with me on Sunday morning knowing what it is I have to get up here and do? I, I can count on one hand in the three year, uh, two and a half years I've been here Somebody's prayed for me. Grab me and say, hey, dude, I, let me pray for you. And count on the other hand, the number of people I've grabbed has freaked everybody out, and they, they've all started showing up later, I've noticed, so I quit doing it. Uh, but, but is that? Or Robbie Baxter or Matthew Sullivan or whomever it may be who ascends this platform, i.e. Hill, to deliver the word of God. And the weight that is, the double judgment that is not just from God, it's also from you. That we receive as part of the affliction, as, this, as, as, as a part of what this calling is. How can we begin to become more and more and more a people of prayer and a people of community such that when people visit our church, it's not just me they think they know. They can begin to know who you are the DNA of the body life here at Christ Community. We are not there yet. And that's okay. I didn't expect us to be there by now. I didn't. Not because I think less of you, but just because I know how the, kind of how it works a bit. What the expectations ought to be and when. And so can we take this passage from today and not be the same come next week? Can we, can we somehow take what's being said here and have it be have it be transformative to us. Would you consider this Lord's Sabbath day, whether or not you're being intentional about praying for those you are supporting in ministry? Not just for, but with on occasion. And what are some ways, what are some ways in which you've benefited from those you've supported in ministry? What are some ways in which you have experienced the blessing? And what are some ways in which you have seen the prayer-born fruit of those ministries? Philip Edgecombe Hughes says this, supplicatory prayer not only expresses, but promotes the communion of the saints. The end to which it leads is joy and thanksgiving because of the heavenly Father's goodness in hearing and answering the petitions of his children. See, for us to pray for one another draws us closer together. It makes a tighter union and bond more, more than any salsa dip, any diet white grape drink from Fago. That's disgusting, by the way. None of that, can, and some know why I said that. Uh, but none of that draws us together like prayer does. And how do we continue to make the turn? We're not going to do it overnight. I don't expect you to be perfect at this. I don't expect for Brian to send me an email and say, I have received 100 emails this week. Tell those people to leave us alone. 
I don't, but I do expect over time that we will grow in this. And so I, I want you to see some of the folks that we're actually supporting in Faith Promise. I think we've got slides, Dan. Um, yeah, so for this next year, those will be supporting in Faith Promise. This is Mountain City Church, which is in Jasper, Georgia, the least churched county in all of Georgia. It's Pickens County. And uh, they are doing great work in Mountain City. They are continuing to grow um, they're up to about 75 or 100, on, and they're doing Sunday morning worship. They have elected elders, um, and Chris is one of the finest evangelist relational people I've ever met. So uh, this is one of the churches that we're supporting. Uh, the next is Riverside Community Church. Uh, Jody actually was an intern here with Mike Glass, and they're in Cartersville, and uh, the Lord has blessed that work. They are up to about 60 to 75 on Sunday mornings. Mark, is that about right? Mark goes up once a month to help them serve communion. They're in the process of uh, moving toward particularization through building up uh, elders and deacons. Uh, they have a leadership class that's going on. Um, it is, it's tough work up there. And it is, I talk to Chris and Jody every single week to try to encourage them to keep doing what they're doing. Um, next up is um, RUF. Uh, so we've moved RUF out of, I don't know who picked that picture, and Wes isn't in here to defend himself, so that's what he gets. Uh, um, so the Countons are, are at KSU, and so RUF, we've moved into Faith Promise. It used to be in the thing called Session Delegated Funds, and so it made more sense to us to have all of our missional stuff in the Faith Promise category. And so uh, that is an addition this year. And, uh, and, and he can tell you, um, trying to minister to college students at a, at a college that is, doesn't quite know what it yet is, still kind of transient, uh, it's kind of a stopover college, maybe folks didn't necessarily, and this isn't true of everybody, but it, it's just, it's hard to build community there, uh, and uh, they're doing great work. And then we also support some interns, uh, one of which is our own Zach Wagner, um, who is off celebrating his birthday, but he is at KSU through Campus Outreach, um, and uh, he's going to be sending out a newsletter here soon. They had 20 or 25 unbelievers uh, attend a ski, a ski trip that they had a couple of weeks ago, and so he's, he's incredibly excited about some of the things the Lord's doing there. Uh, next up is Philip Mason, who's also a member of our church. He's at North Texas in Denton, uh, and, and he is uh, at RUF, and the Lord has blessed uh, his ministry, despite that mustache, and uh, and so, so we love Philip, and he we get an opportunity to see him every once in a while. Next up is um, Johan Guadalupe. He is starting campus outreach at Dalton State, so you need to be praying for him. Any of you have ever tried to start something where nobody knows who you are? You have any idea how hard that is? So he needs a lot of help. But the church that is partnering with him, Grace. Uh, it's a PCA church, is dedicated to multicultural, uh, diverse ministry, and they wanted to be able to reach uh, Spanish students on campus, and so they've, they've brought him up there, and we'll, we'll be supporting him. Uh, in addition to that, we have uh, the family we talked to earlier, the Stocks, who are in Southeast Asia through MTW. Uh, next up is uh, the Mills, who are in Thailand. They're part of a church plant called Grace, uh, Grace City Church, and we, Tim and I, had the chance to have um, breakfast with Tim about a week or so ago, and it was fascinating to hear that the same issues that we have in our church, they actually have in the Thai church, so 
people are the same east of Eden as it turns out. Um, and, then, uh, and then the Robertsons who are in Chile. Um, Steve is actually in more of a leadership role with MTW, which is to help plant churches and do things all throughout uh, South America. And so he's got a large role. It's a regional role. Um, and do you think that would be tough to try to keep up with all that? You think Steve could use our prayers? Yeah, he could. And to know that we're praying for him. And then last, but certainly not least, the Larsons, who are part of Next, it used to be Global Youth and Family Ministries, it's through MTW, the largest population of people in the world that is unreached are uh, a window from about six years old to 18 years old. And so what he does is try to help missionaries reach that population and stay healthy in so doing. And so he's got a larger uh, worldwide role and uh, he certainly could use our prayers, and he is uh, the son of Sam Larson, for those of you who remember Sam. So those are the folks that we're supporting. Like I said, make sure you grab prayer cards, make note of that in the devotionals. If you have downloaded them, uh, and if you are using them, you will notice every Wednesday we're praying for somebody that's in ministry. We did it the previous time for the next sermon series that starts next week on the Gospel of Mark. We'll be doing something similar, praying locally for local and beyond. So... Um, what, are the, what are the things that we need to take away from this? One, we need to know the various afflictions that those we support in ministry are going through so that we can pray for the death of their self-reliance and for their hope in the resurrection to grow and their affection for God to grow. And third, we need to be helping them by prayer so as to share in the thanksgiving and blessing of the resulting fruit. We need to join them, partner with, in full, give more than money, pray, and build relationship. Again, this church will continue to be a loose collective of mercenaries. It will continue to be a loose collective of mercenaries if we do not start taking some ownership from out there of some of these things and getting involved, right? And I don't, I don't necessarily, I, I mean, it sounds cool to be the pastor of a loose collection of missionaries or mercenaries, uh, French Foreign Legion style, um, but, but I'd rather be uh, the pastor of a family. And so uh, this is one of the ways I think that we can grow in this. As a beautiful segue, uh, one of the ways in which we are able to grow as a family is through the sacrament of baptism. And so baptism is uh, just a beautiful picture of God's work at at, at, in the lives of his people without them really knowing fully what's going on. It's also uh, evidence of his great love for children. He loves children. Think about the Abrahamic covenant. Now, do you think that the Great Commission did away with God's love for children? <laughs> no. In fact, all it did was add to it in the sense of saying he, he wants to love children both young and old, not just by birth, not just by circumcision, but also, and even more importantly, through the redemption of Jesus Christ. 